Welcome to episode 120 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. Today is May 22nd, 2014. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I'm your host, Jason Collette, joined again by Eno Saris. Good afternoon, man. How are you doing? Did you just call me ma'am? Man. Man. No, 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 no. I am tired, but I'm not that tired. I did take a nap because I was enjoying one of my... My last couple of days where I do have that flexibility to take a nap during the daytime, that's, that's going to end uh, here, obviously. So I almost got like one more nap. Let's get it done because tomorrow I'm going to drive over to Tropicana Field and see if, if uh, Boston or Tampa Bay actually care about winning a baseball game. I'm not convinced either is capable of doing so right now. <laughs> terrible, terrible baseball, dude. They threw a one-hitter last night and lost. It's like rock bottom for that team. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that was a... I think I just saw a stat that uh, the A's had lost 71 straight games when they'd been one hit. I tweeted it out last night while this game was ha- – it was like in the fifth inning. I'm like, okay, this – what? when's the last time a team has won with only getting one hit? And it was 2012 when the, when the uh, Mariners beat the – Astros beat the Mariners, and Mariners beat the Astros, one of those directions. The funny thing was the losing pitcher in that game, Eric Bedard. Who was the losing pitcher yesterday? Eric Bedard. Uh, <laughs> Out the last 61 times a team has scored one hit, they are 2-59. and 59. Both times the winning team defeated Eric Bedard. Uh, it, is, it is crazy what, how bad that team is. And those two, both those teams, Boston's terrible too. And it's, you know, both of those teams were picked to finish 1-2 in that division. They are 4-5. And, and they are legitimately 4-5. They are both playing bad baseball. Uh, and it's going to be a four-game set. And I, I wanted to go over there before I uh, switch hats and, are, and won't be able to go over there on the on the frequency that I have. In fact, I'll only go over there one other time before I leave uh, town. But let's uh, start off the podcast with bad injury news. And for a change, it's not about a pitcher. Right? Every time we've got started this podcast lately, it's been to talk about somebody's elbow. But today it's going to be uh, starting off with Prince Fielder's neck. And this herniated disc, there's now talk that he may be out the rest of the season because uh, he may need to have surgery on this issue. This is not going away. It's clearly affected him and throughout. The, his numbers have not been what people expected him to uh, be when he, we had switched over from Detroit to Texas. This thing has been a problem all season for him, and this pinched nerve in his neck is caused by a herniated disc, and it's causing weakness in his arm, and that's kind of why uh, a big reason why he's hitting 247, and his on-base percentage and slugging percentage are both at 360 rather than the, a 380 and a 520 number that we've kind of grown accustomed to with him. Uh, obviously, this sucks, but yeah, if, from a fantasy purpose, I mean, there's not really you have, you have to think the surgery is going to happen. So let's just pretend it's going to. If it does happen. What do you do as a fantasy player to uh, adjust? Who do you go target? Uh, who do you think benefits from more playing time with him being out like this? Um, <clears throat> well, the, 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 you know, the thing that's so frustrating about this is just, just that, 
I, I feel like I didn't buy into the hype and didn't um, think that he was going to hit 40 homers or whatever this year in Texas. And I like I, you know, had my eyes wide open and, and did like a, a very normal ranking for him. My objection for him was something like, you know, a return to 30 homers. I felt like he would get some boost from Texas, right. but you know, I, I gave him basically like a 280 average and 30 homers. And just with good RBI, that actually ended up being, in my rankings, like a, a an early second-round pick. And, uh, you know, I, I'm defensible. You know, it's a lot of production. It's the kind of, you know, powers down around the league, and it's just, you know, it's the kind of thing you need from your first baseman. And so, you know, I don't have any share as a fielder, but I think it was just a sort of a, a you know, I could have, you know, feed to me in the mid second round I would have taken to taken him. But um it didn't it didn't work out that way for me, so I'm happy to say that I don't have to just but uh I can see how, you know, even without, you know, thinking, oh he's gonna hit forty homers in Texas that people um you know to spend reasonably on him and, and are still in a bad position. But the nice thing is, yeah, you know, I've been looking around, I think Adam Lind is on a lot of uh waiver wire uh from from the questions I I'm getting. And uh, and though Adam Lind won't start against lefties, and he doesn't have 30 homer power, most likely, I, I'm calling it up now, I feel like he's done it. He's never done it. But he has done it once. He did it once. Yeah, first. 35 that one year. But uh, I, I do think he can hit about 25 homers, at least in terms of pace, uh, not necessarily. And, um, and, I, and I like... You know his new contact rate. I think that there's some swing changes he's made that have that have really been well, and, and and you know he'll have a pretty good batting average. So I think Adam Lind, plus you know some sort of other caddy, uh, could be a solution for people who are who are dealing with this problem right now. Oh, I look at if I'm looking at most added players at first base from ESPN's tool, I see that obviously Juan Francisco is going to be at the top of that list. Uh, people, his current ownership uh, rate is 85%. A couple of guys, you mentioned Lynn, he's at 61. James Loney's at 58. You may think, wow, it's a big power drop-off. But honestly, James Loney is what Prince Fielder was doing. Justin Smoke is at 41%. That's not bad. Casey McGee is not hitting for power, but he's at 55%. Even Adam Dunn's at just at 16% ownership right now. Uh, what about Eric Campbell? I know I saw you tweeting notes about him. Uh, he has first base eligibility in ESPN leagues. You, you had mentioned that this is somebody that made the, the Zobris list pre- uh, preseason. Looks like he's going to get more playing time. Talk about Eric Campbell a little bit. You know, the problem is that he's a natural first base, third base guy, and the Mets seem to have of uh, crappy first baseman, really. Well, there's no other word for it. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and and, and I, I guess I would put him in that category. He's not a prospect. He's like 27 or 28. He's He was never really regarded well regarded as a prospect, and he doesn't have great upside. But, you know, at this point we're talking about deeper leagues. We're talking about zero and 1% owned. We're talking about um, trying to replace Fielder, um, you know, in a 2018 or something. It'd have to be a mixed league because he's in the in the NL. But um, in any case, the nice thing about Eric Campbell is they're talking about giving him some outfield time. And uh, the reason he showed up on Jeff Zimmerman's list of um, uh, possibilities 
is that he was an older guy or he, he basically took age out of the equation. He decided, I'm not going to look at age, but I'm going to look at players, good play discipline, some power, and multi-position eligibility in the minor leagues. And so he found guys like Marcus Simeon and, and, um, and Eric Campbell and, you know, of course, retroactively guys like Zobrist and, and, and uh, Matt Carpenter. So, uh, you know, Campbell controls the strike zone. He's doing, he's doing well because he's basically at his peak and he's in the major leagues. He's going to get some playing time at first. He's going to get some playing time in the corner outfield. He could maybe carve out 250, 300 plate appearances over the rest of the season. And, you know, they're souring on Chris Young, and there's some opportunity in the outfield. And uh, so I, I think he's a decent pickup in in the deepest of leagues. But, um, you know, otherwise, I picked him up in my 18-teamer and my 20-teamer. And, you know, those those guys have, like, 30- and 40-man rosters. So I, I feel like that's the kind of league you want to pick him up in. You know, when it comes to what the Rangers are going to do, though, it's not an, an immediately obvious. I guess it would mean maybe more time for Mitch Moreland mm-hmm. at first, a little bit more time for Michael Choice. Between DH, who's been the bad lately? I mean, Michael Choi. At last I looked, he was something like oh for his lad. This was I was listening to the the Tiger game, Tiger and Rangers game earlier today. They said that Choice had been oh for his last thirteen and one for his last twenty three, heading into his first plate appearance today. Yeah, I, I don't know how he did. I mean, they they offered really nicely today. Uh, let's see if the live thing is loading. And Choice has a hit, two RBIs, and a walk. So that's. At least okay day for him today. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's – what just happened? Wow, that, that was crazy. Something just took over my screen on Fangraphs. Uh, any case, uh, I, I – I, you know, I don't – you know, there was some, like, sort of crowing, you know, you know, from the A's fans. Oh, we got we got Gentry and, and good luck with Choice. But Choice, some – Nation power abilities. I think uh-huh. he, you know, he could, he could hit some for some power, especially in Texas. And I do like the fact that he's only striking out twenty one percent of the time. His swing strike rate supports that. So, you know, I was worried his strikeout rate would be in the major leagues because it was very up and down in the minor leagues. But if it sticks around twenty percent, and then he he pushes that power to league average, or better, you know, we're talking about another deep league player that's interesting. And then otherwise, the only name that I can think of, I mean, there's the other two names would be Donnie Murphy and Tucci. Um, but, oh, there is a prospect. Um, I'm trying to remember the prospect we saw in the Arizona Fall League, Brett Nichols. Doesn't stand out Jim, to me. Tucci's 29, and uh, his career Oh, yeah, high, Nichols. Now I remember that guy. I remember it because he leapt in the air and got – a sweet grab, and I tweeted about it, and his wife retweeted me, which is just one of the <laughs> weird things that happens. But uh, I'm pulling his page up now. He's 25. He's not really a great prospect, but he did, did play well last year. Uh, I think he even made the All-Star game. I'm not sure about that. He played okay. Uh, and he's in AAA right now, ready to go. Uh, he walks. <clears throat> doesn't strike out a ton. Has power that's gone up and down, but might play well well in in uh the pros in texas so you know i I, there's another deep league guy but if if the rangers decide i mean they still have a 23 percent chance of the of the playoffs by the numbers and i know that's not exactly what's necessarily going to happen but if they if they if they want to play for next year 
you know, what they can do is, is trade. They can think about trading Beltry. They can think about, uh, trading Andrews and, uh, they can call up Nichols to see if they've got something at first. Um, and just, and just run the gamut of, of, of looking at what, what they can do to get better next year. So, um, yeah, he could be a possibility. He, he, he becomes a little bit more interesting now, but it's not like they were like, Oh, get this guy because fielder's down. Agreed. Let's move on to uh, another batter. As much crap as you as you throw on yourself for the Brad Miller thing, and as much crap as people want to throw at you for Brad Miller, if if people wanted to speculate that my departure from the active Fangraphs roster was due to my trashing Michael Morse all offseason, I would not blame them because I did think this guy looked done, and Michael Morse has done nothing but make me look completely stupid this year. And you wrote an article about him that ran on the front side today. I, I still cannot believe that this is the same guy we saw last year. I know that he was playing through wrist issues, but when I watched that guy last year, when I physically stood near him, he looked done to me last year. I just can't fathom. This is the same guy from last year that I saw and was like, wow, this guy looks so done. What's going on here? You know, he's just – I think it is really a lot about the wrist. I mean, we went through some different things about his aggression and the different choices he's making um, – with regards to power and trying to keep his swing um, in check and, and not getting too long and that sort of stuff. But it's really, I think about the wrist and you know, what's, what makes it, what made it really stand out for me is that Morse, I think is, is kind of underappreciated in terms of his, of his power hitting ability, you know, because he did have that one season with 30, but otherwise he's been hurt so often that it, he doesn't have those big counting stats when it comes to, Right. Uh, to, when it comes to homers, when you look at his batted ball distance right now, it's third in the league. He's hitting his homers and flies 320 feet on average. Yeah, they're not cheap. And, yeah, they're not cheap. They're going real far in and, and AT and T. So they're just they're he is he's got he hits moonshots. And I, and I looked last year, and he he says in my <clears throat> he says in my piece that they swing with one hand. Right. <clears throat> well, last year he was a hundredth in the major leagues with a 288 um, uh, foot fly ball and homer distance. I mean that that's still a decent number. I mean it's it's kind of crazy that he was able to do that with you know being hurt. And you know if you if you kind of don't look at anything but isolated slugging, he still had a one in the ISO. So even with you know, with one hand, he was uh, he was putting a better than than league average numbers in power. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that you know there's going to be a lot of talk about this being like the the signing of the off season and stuff like that. And I didn't want to. I don't like to get too negative about my subjects in in the piece in sure. case they read. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I, I it's not it's not about necessarily appraising him. It's about sort of thinking about. The things he does right, and and using what he says to to think about the league and think about baseball. That's kind of how I see it. So, you know, I, I could have been more critical and and suggest the, and point out the fact that despite you know having ten homers, despite being good at the plate, he's been so bad in the outfield that he's not to be a below average player. Yeah, I mean, it, what I thought. When I looked at him, I, I liked him. I remember in 2010 getting him and then looking at it saying, okay, we've got a guy with a league average, just slightly below league average strikeout rate, 
but his ISO was 229. And I yeah, like that a lot. Then he gets the extra playing time, has the monster year. And then since then, his ISO went from one, even when he was healthy in 2012 for the most part, went from 247 to 180 and then 167 uh, last season with the wrist issue. And all of a sudden, he's got a career, he has a career best ISO right now at 252. Uh, and that, yeah, that's what he's doing. He's still striking out the walks. He's still the same guy as far as those skills. But all of a sudden, boom, here comes the power. And I remember when the seat, when the signing happened, my first reaction was like, God, why are you putting this guy in the field? This guy, if anything, he's a DH. I mean, I know the Rays that kicked the tires on him. And I was thinking, look, if you're going to sign him as a DH, I'm fine with that. But just don't pay a lot of money. And you're, the Giants put him in the outfield. And yeah, he's been a terrible outfielder for him. But the power's been it's been a tremendous surprise. He's got 10 home runs and 169 plate appearances. He's three shy of repeating last year's total. And he's uh, 180 plate appearances uh, under what he did last year. Yeah, I, I think it was, a re- it was a pretty good sign. I mean, the, the cheap bargain bin left field other than him were basically Justin Reggiano. And I couldn't really I, – I, I remember writing the piece in the winter meetings trying to decide – you know what to do, and it was basically Reggiano or Morse. And I, I kind of said, I will admit, I said Reggiano is a better, and I just thought it would maybe be a better fit because it would give them more depth defensively. And you know, even if he could only hit against lefts, they had Blanco to hit against righties, and I thought that would be a really interesting platoon. And I thought he'd be cheaper than Morse. But when Morse's price came down to six million, I thought, well, that's fine, whatever. We'll see what they get out of him. And I didn't necessarily think that the Giants would necessarily be that good this year. You know, I thought it might be <clears throat> a transition period until they get their guys, Crick and Escobar, and some some of their young arms back up. So uh, I'm I'm happy for the Giants. They found a good they found a good stopgap. They're doing really well. They're scoring some runs even without Scudero. And uh, you know, as for fantasy, I would say that I would expect his power pace to drop off a little bit. Although it's nice that the big power months are ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And if he can stay healthy through the power months, he could, you know, hit 25 homers this year. And it wouldn't be that crazy. It's just, it's really all about health for him. And uh, I think he would even agree with that. He's never had more than 575 plate appearances. He's averaged over the last three years, he's averaged closer to 300, you know, maybe maybe 350. And so it's just something you have to think about when you pick him up. But if you're if you're lacking a Prince Fielder and, and for some reason Morse is still out there, I mean, this is this is an idea. At least with Ruggiano, you know that one. That's a guy that has all he can do is hit. He, he can hit lefties. And he can hit fastballs, and that's what he's limited to. Uh, and so in that regard, that's somebody that I've never liked, and maybe that was even more of a visual bias thing because uh, I had only seen Morse do what he did in the AL East, but I had seen Ruggiano plenty to know that's not a guy that uh, that I wanted any part of. I know a lot of people were kind of keen on him this going into this season as a potential, you know, 15-15-20-20 guy. No, that, that's just, there's a reason why that guy's been bounced around so many organizations. Let's talk about a guy that led his team in spring training batting average with 444 average over 52 plate appearances, currently has 20% of his team's home run total, and is now in AAA, and we're talking about Mike Moustakas. The Royals have 20 home runs as the team. Moustakas was tied with Sal Perez with four home runs to lead the team. But the Royals finally said enough's enough with Mike Moustakas and sent his 152 batting average and 223 OBP and 320 slug back to Omaha. 
to uh, to work on things. I saw an interesting note uh, from some, uh, Steve Carter on Twitter who said that Mustakas' swing was always in his shoulder, even back in high school, and he's done little to adjust it. And you look at the numbers this year, strikeout rate's where it's always been. He's walking more. He just makes some of the absolute worst contact in baseball, and Cameron wrote that up uh, on the site today, uh, earlier this morning about that. But this is just bad con- – I don't know how he hit four home runs, to be honest with you, because every time I saw him hitting, he was rolling something over to the right side and was barely making – or what he was putting in play was barely making out of the infield. And it was just terrible contact, almost like a pitcher up there hitting is how bad he was doing. And I don't know what took the Royals so long to make this move because this guy was clearly lost. I've, I've, I've held, I try not to hold grudges in fantasy just because there's <laughs> all sorts of people bounce back. I know where this is going, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he killed me last year in labor and I, I won't forgive him for it, but the, the, and, and also, I mean, there's just the, 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 the heckling, but I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll own, I'll own a guy who cursed and spit on me if, uh, if he'll win me a fantasy league. So the, the thing that I, tried to learn i try to learn from things like this and it's funny because we just talked on morse zimmerman found that guys who play through pain uh get undervalued by projections systems and i think that's kind of a no-brainer because you think oh okay um you know the projection system doesn't know why the power is down it just knows it is down and so it'll just use that to project the future and so you look at Moustakis, his first year, he had 20 homers, had a 171 ISO. In 2013, uh, but he also, he had a 171 ISO, but he was hurt for some of the season and and played through it. So, you know, projections had him at a certain level, and I looked at the minor leagues and said, oh, look at this. He has some near three, he had a 300 ISO in double A. He had some near 300 ISOs. He had really good power numbers in the minor leagues. Um, and he managed to put up a 171 ISO with a hurt wrist, you know, I'm not going to project him for 30 homers, but and I'm not going to pay for 30 homers, but I'm going to try and get this guy at a reasonable price and, and see what happens. So, you know, I think that's fine. I think I, I don't think I really messed up. I paid 16 bucks for him for a guy that hit 20 homers the year before and had a, had a job waiting for him. I don't think that that's, you know, I don't, maybe it's not even what sunk my season, but it did make me think this year, you know, I, I'll put an asterisk on a guy if he played through pain, but I'm not necessarily going to target him because of that. Because, you know, playing through pain, you know, it might mean that there's going to be more pain this year. Look at Dustin Pedroia. Dustin Pedroia's power went down, and he and he had a thumb surgery. He had a thumb that he was supposed to have surgery on that he put off all season last right. year. So you could say, oh, well, Dustin Pedroia's power is going to bounce back. He'll be fine. He'll be healthy this year. Well, you know, th- that was true maybe, but then Dustin Pedroia got hurt again this year. And his power's down again. And I don't necessarily think, you know, it's nice of him to grind. And that means that runs in RBI and playing time will be there. But it doesn't mean the power's coming back, at least not until he gets totally right. So it's it's this weird thing where I'll, I'll, I'll put an asterisk in my little draft cheat sheet or whatever, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to go after Pedroia, you know, Pedroia's in the future. I'm not going to go after guys that played through pain because I think that they're going to be super undervalued or anything because they could get they could get hurt again. They were they were hurt, you know. Right. It's, it's it's another it's another injury. 
Where did, uh, so the, kind of... where did the industry go wrong with this guy, though? We're talking about a guy that was the number one prospect for the Royals in 2008-2009, was in their top four in 2010 and 2011, was never, in, in 2008 was the 18th best guy, 2009 was the 13th best guy, 2010 he fell to 80th, and in 2011 was back in the top 10. So this was a guy that had been a top 20 prospect three of the four years he was eligible and now we're talking about a guy who's heading back to the minor leagues after 1,600 plate appearances in a 236, 290, 379 slash line. Where did we go wrong yeah. with him? The, the only thing I can say is that his walk rate doesn't actually put him in a good bust bin. I mean, there's it's not a good walk rate ever. I mean, w- one year he was league average. So it. And it's not that the walk rate needed to translate or that he needed to have a walk rate in the major leagues to be any good. Obviously, this is his best walk rate, and he's been the worst he's ever been. But, you know, I I just think that it shows that the sort of lack of adjustment at the plate, uh, a lack of great sense of the plate, and a, and a sort of free-swinging mentality that looks good in the minor leagues when he's being aggressive, putting up good batting averages because he has decent contact rates, going up against worse pitchers, and just, you know, kind of getting out, going out there and just swinging away and hitting homers. And it doesn't look as good when you're going up against Cliff Lee types who can pick you apart because they can find your spots and you can't adjust to them because you don't have a real great sense of where the strike zone is and you're not, you know, you're not that kind of hitter. So sometimes, I mean, like, think about Emilio Bonifacio. If you remove a lot of, you know, if you remove the name and you and you made him 17 again, you could say, oh, my God, this guy has wheels for days. He can make contact. He has a little bit of power. He can play any position on the field. Oh, my God, Emilio Bonifacio. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you see him now against the major league, and you're like, oh, Emilio Bonifacio. <laughs> like, oh, God, he's out there again. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Somebody that we're, we're still waiting on. Uh, and maybe that wait's going to be over soon. But Oscar Tavares, I know there was a piece that was out the Derek Gold had written something over the weekend saying that it, it's not all about Super 2 with, with Oscar Tavares. I, I, when I read those pieces, I always have to – I always think it's a tongue-in-cheek piece because obviously a, a GM can't flat out and come and say – this is all about Super 2 because they're, they're not allowed to because <laughs> the players union would be all over them. So they have to dance around the topic and do this and do that. And I remember a few weeks ago, I remember reading something about, oh, you know, is he a major league center fielder right now? No, he's not. And I made a joke to somebody. I bet you he is by June 2nd. Uh, <laughs> and that, and it always just kind of drives me crazy because there's, there's a clear need for him and and st louis right now just as there's a painfully obvious need for greg polanco uh, in pittsburgh you look down at at Tavares's triple a numbers right now he's hitting 313 with a 361 on base percentage a 512 slug yes it's in the pcl but we're still talking about a guy who has a career 330 batting average in the minor leagues and a career 922 ops uh, obviously in a triple a level 310 with an 837 ops that would be even if you were to discount that 40 percent still better than what Peter Borjos is doing uh, for them in center field. What's your take on Tavares and what he may do once he comes up? You're, you're hearing that uh, Super 2 is early June? Uh, yeah, sometimes you, see, you always hear, like, maybe after Memorial Day. I, I pulled June 2nd out of the air. I think it's going to be uh, closer to Father's Day, personally, but I think it's two weeks away. 
Oh, I thought it was early July. All right. Well, that's fun. Uh, I'd like to see them a little bit sooner. So we're talking about a couple weeks, possibly. Yeah. The, the funny thing about uh, having this Tavares conversation right after what I just said is that, you know, he doesn't really have great walk rates either. But the the thing that's different about them is that Tavares makes a lot more contact um, than, than Moustakas did. And it's the kind of thing where he, you know, 10 and 11% con, uh, 10 and 11% strikeout rates. So that's a lot of balls in play. And if he can combine that with power, it should, should end up being a good batting average. And it may be the kind of thing where he, his on base percentage is only 20 or 30 points higher than his batting average. But, you know, a lot of fantasy owners don't care about all that. So I like the, I like the plus contact rates. I, I like the uh, the power. I wish he'd stolen more this year, but you know he's been having these foot issues. So, you know, maybe we have to revise him down from a five tooler to a four tooler. Perhaps maybe speaking of five tool, four tool, uh, Carlos Gonzalez, and this is really his numbers. You look across the board, and he's making better contact this year. That's kind of the one thing that kind of stands out with him. When I look at his numbers, he's expanded his zone this year. His, his O swing percentage is up four percentage points. He's swinging more frequently inside the strike zone. He's making more contact overall, but you wouldn't know it by his numbers. You look at his numbers, his slugging percentage is down 115 points from last year. His batting average is down 26 points. His batting average in balls in play is down nearly 60 points. Clearly, this finger thing that's been hanging around for most of May is an issue, but we saw this with Gonzalez last year hit over 300 despite striking out 27% of the time has cut back on the strikeouts. But in, in that process, his offensive numbers have come way down. Do we need to reset our expectations for Carlos Gonzalez for 2014? I don't think so. The only thing I would say is that we've done an aging curve on stolen bases and these things don't turn out good. So, you know, he's, he's not old by any means, but it's just stolen bases just go away really, really quickly. And they don't, they peak at like 24, you know. It's like, you know, you'll never you'll never see 25 stolen bases from Carlos Gonzalez again. So, in you know, I think that you know the, the power he's showing is pretty decent. I've I've done some work that shows the power peaks around 25, 26. So, I doubt you'll see another 35 homer season from him too. But you know, I think he probably got bought for a 300 batting average, 25 homers and you know 15 to 20 stolen bases i think he can still manage something close to that maybe it's 10 stolen bases you know maybe it's not 25 homers but he's already he's still hitting the homers i think he still he gets enough boost from home to keep that batting average high you know even if his some of his swing metrics get a little wonky he's making a lot of contact he's back to his career rates in terms of strikeout rate I don't really – the only thing that I that I worry about with Carlos Gonzalez is when he's going to get hurt. And it seems like he's already that's the, he's already been hurt. This finger thing hasn't gone away. You know, I was looking back on player notes with him, and it's been there – it was there last year. Uh, last year it was there early May in some of the player notes, and it, it's still there now. I know that's been a, a little bit of an issue for him. And uh, – who knows if that's going to go away? It just seems like it's swollen. It's not swollen. But you look at the – I just – when you look at that, he was a first-round draft pick. He was taken as high as five in some of the things I saw, and he's performing more like a 10th-rounder. I mean, 10th-rounder, uh, seven homers maybe. 
Yeah, I think he's doing a little better than that. All right, eighth. <laughs> Throwing a little curveball. <laughs> uh, the last battle I want to talk yeah. about is a, is a listener's request. Somebody wanted us to look at Christy Yelich, uh, who's, a, last, who's a bit frustrated by his reverse splits this year. One one last note about, uh, about Carlos Gonzalez. Okay. I would be more worried about him uh, when the if the Dodgers when, when if the Rockies fall out of the race because he could have had surgery in the offseason. he didn't have it right. so he knew that what he was what he was going signing up for in terms of you know it being an issue off and on and he's, it's going to be an issue but the Rockies are playing really well and they're projected right now to to end up about three or four games out of out of the money. In the division, which means I think that they'll be playing relevant games into September, and he'll be trying to get his ass in the lineup every day. Yeah, agreed. Um, with Christian Yelich, somebody's a little frustrated. One of the listeners was like, "Could you talk about what happened with this guy?" So last year, Christian Yelich hit a buck sixty-five against lefties over one hundred and two plate appearances, and this year, over forty-nine plate appearances, is hitting three forty-nine with a nine oh seven OPS. Against righties last year, he crushed righties, hit 362, the 941 OPS over the 171 plate appearances, and nearly the same amount of time this year, he's hit 234 with a 717 OPS. The funny thing is, walk rate's nearly identical to last year against righties. Strikeout rate is nearly identical to last year against righties. The batting average and balls in play uh, is really what's balanced out. He had a 477 Batting average in balls in play against right-handed pitching last year. This year, it's 281. Last year against the lefties in the, in the small sample size that it was, had a 219 batting average in balls in play. This year, it's 405. Is, it, is that all it really comes down to? Because from a skill level against righties, Yelich is pretty much the same guy that he was last year. Against lefties, he's cut down on his strikeout rate. The walk rate's still there, but he's, stri- he's making more contact against the lefties. I, I, I know it has to be frustrating as a Yelich owner to have him because he's struggling against the pitchers that he's seeing 70% of the time uh, in the righties. But where are you with Yelich? I am, uh, I'm really happy with him in terms of skill progression. I think he's. I think I'm going to listen to the things that I hear out of you that I, I find very important, which is cutting that strikeout rate against lefties, cutting that, that swinging strike rate in general, cutting a strikeout rate in general. And these are all things I was worried about, and he and he really got on top of that. And we know from his minor league history and from his scouting pedigree that he has power upside. He's still taking off uh, on the base pads a lot, which I really like. So I think, you know, last year you could have asked me about Yaley, and I would have said, oh, I don't know. You know, this guy strikes out too much. I don't know about his batting average. This year he has the bad batting average, but he's improved the strikeout rate, so I'm all over him. You know, a reverse platoon split takes – Almost a thousand plate appearances to be believable. Right. So you know, you know, I don't know. I'm not even looking at his splits page right now because I'm not. I'm not worried about his splits so much. I like that he's a lefty. That's improving against lefties. I don't think he's going to be a platoon player. He's showing power and speed. I think this year he can finish the year with a sort of 15-20 line. That shouldn't be too hard. You know, maybe he pushes it a little bit. 15-25. I think uh, that'll be a really good year for. I, I don't know. Did people think he would do better than that in his full, first full year? Being so young, I, I think this, that's a great year. And it says to me that his peak is going to be something really nice, like a two ninety three hundred season, whereas twenty 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 five twenty five something like that. I think becomes a lot more believable now. 
than it was for me last year. I mean, I just think it's really a amount of bad breaks for him because I'm I'm comparing his 2013 numbers against righties to his 2014. Because I don't watch a lot of Marlins games, I can't tell you if he's being overshifted, but it wouldn't surprise me. The other thing here is he's putting a he's putting 62% of his ground of, of his yeah. batted balls in play into the ground against righties. Uh, that's going to be tough. Just in general, just in general against both, it's 60, 63. That's the one thing that I – that's what I would pick out for him now uh, going forward. Just a few more fly balls so that the power can shine a little bit more. I mean, I don't know how he hit uh, for decent power in the minors if, if everything was on the ground. So I, I have a feeling, you know, ground ball rate does actually um, – you can, you know, the aging curve ground ball rate, there is there – is, uh, there is improvement. I mean, it, it's not easy to say because some people should hit ground balls, like Mike Mustaka should hit more ground balls, but he should probably hit less. But there, I think there, the aging curve suggests that you can change ground ball fly ball mix for a while, and that, it, that you can actually change it for a little bit longer than a lot of these other things. So you know, at uh, uh, twenty, he's not even twenty three yet. Uh, so right. at twenty two years old for all of this year. I think he's got three, four, five years of ground ball rate improvement, power improvement in front of him. And since, you know, whatever he, he steals this year might be his peak for steals, but if he can steal, you know, 25 this year, maybe he can steal 30 next year and then start declining, there's definitely a chance for a good 2020, 2025 season in there. And you think is at the important the other important part thing is you say he's 22 all this year. Age comp, his age peers are playing in the Florida State League this year. You look at the yeah. average age of the Florida State League is 22 years old. He's playing a full season in a major league. I'm going to give him a lot of leash here because you look at the, you look at all the indicators across the board, and they're right where they were last year, if not slightly better. So if, if people are disappointed in Yelich because he's hitting 261 with five home runs and seven stolen bases, buy. I, I'd be buying this guy if somebody's disappointed in what he's doing right now because this should get better. There's a, there's a lot of progress there. Let's flip over to pitching and, and start with somebody that we we got a, a little bit last night with uh, Parker Hageman from the the Twins Daily Group uh, because Phil Hughes all of a sudden is is is, is uh, undefeated over his last six starts has a thirty to one strikeout to walk ratio uh, his ERA is two ten his WHIP is a buck oh two I mean this is not the Phil Hughes it's it's fun to troll Yankee fans with it. Because you know they're like, great, this guy could do anything for us, and all of a sudden he's just shutting everybody else down, and uh, that's rather amazing in and of itself. You made the point that he was just pretty much doing it all with fastball. But what else did you see when you took a look at Hughes? The, the weird thing is that he he doesn't really have a good pitch other than the fastball. I mean, the the curveball gets like sixty percent ground ball, so it's actually a pretty good ground ball pitch, but. It's not a pitch that you throw enough that it can really change a ground ball rate. And Phil is not really a ground ball pitcher. So, you know, it's it's effective in that it gets him some ground ball outs, but it's not, you know, it's not going to change who he is as a pitcher. His cutter gets 11% ground balls. That's in 11% whiffs. That's okay. I mean, it's not bad, but it's it's not way better than average. So, uh, I, I don't see the cutter, curveball, you know, eh, okay. And then you have a, a fastball with a 12.5% swing strike rate. That's that's all, that's almost double 
average. So I, I, I tried to look at it. It looks like there's a lot of vertical movement on his fastball, and he's got decent command of it. So I guess it's it's uh, just putting the fastball where he needs to put it, surprising them with the curve and the cutter. And, uh, you know, not every pitcher needs to have every every box ticked. You know, it's a, it's a good home park, good command, a good fastball, and some okay other stuff. I, I guess he's a mixed leaguer. I, 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 I think he's still on the borderline for mixed leaguer. I think he's still droppable for hot, hot new, exciting um, young arms. Uh, you, you know, no, I, I don't think that he's somebody you need to hold on to. If somebody wants him to trade, I'd probably trade him. But um, he's also way better than I thought he would be. I mean, we looked at, we knew this was going to be better simply by him changing home ballparks because you could tell that the, the the short porch over his over his left shoulder was in his head the way he pitched at home because he was better on the road than he was at home. So just changing home ballparks should have should have worked out for him well, and it has. And you look at his skills last year. 327 batting average and balls in play. This year, 329. Strikeout rate is two percentage points higher right now. The walk rate has been thirded from 6.5 to 2.7. And then keeping the ball in the park has only allowed four home runs this year, coming off a season where he allowed 24 and then 35 the season before that. So when you look at that, it just holds up. Just changing home ballparks is where it really plays out well for him because his overall... Uh, swing rate is the same. People are swinging at the same amount of pitches. He's also throwing strikes at a higher percentage than he ever has. Perhaps that is new ballpark. Perhaps that is, oh, I'm in the AL Central. I forgot. There's only one team in this division that's <laughs> worth a damn. So maybe I could do that uh, Do that as well. Uh, the Ubaldo Jimenez effect, if you will. Uh, but I've been impressed. Yeah. This was a guy that I draped just because I couldn't keep Felix Hernandez at 37 bucks. I was able to flip him to get a $4 Phil Hughes because I was just going, look, change of address is worth four bucks. Let's try it out. And again, a 160 ERA over his last six starts. And the skills change really hasn't been much at all. If you're, if you're interested, I couldn't fault you for trying to sell him right now because he's hot. You look at his first two starts were terrible. The last six have been amazing. His first three starts were terrible. Last six starts have been amazing. And it's a legitimate thing here. But if you want to strike the iron while it's hot, this is a good time to do it with him. Yeah, I would just, I, I, it's just, I would, I would rather have a guy with a great fastball and a great breaker of some sort. So, you know, that's 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 what's missing here a little bit. But it does teach me the lesson that you know, I, I still haven't run this linear regression. I'm still trying to come up with a basically a, a number that can evaluate uh, your arsenal. Um, what I want to do uh, is try to find out the the, the, the correct weighting for a fastball. I have a feeling that fastball is a little bit less important than 60% because that's how often it's thrown. Um, I have a feeling that your breaker is a little bit more important than that. But at the same time, Phil Hughes proves that you really have to remember that a great fastball is very important. True. Speaking of pitchers that need a great fastball, note just came through that the Pirates have designated Wandy Rodriguez for assignment. Uh, and. Again, saw the writing on the wall there. I guess today is obvious move, obvious move Thursday, because it, this is something that needed to happen. Wandy Rodriguez does not look good, uh, and it's it's over. Uh, and now he'll be paid by the Astros and the Pirates to not pitch. <laughs> yeah, I actually owned him once. Uh, the knee, the knee wasn't getting any better, and um, I just think that. He only had a curveball. The fastball was 
slowly going away as he got older and the knee hurt more. And the change was never any good. So if your only pitch is a curveball, then you're really in trouble. And speaking of uh, in trouble, another note, Zach McAllister has gone to the DL with a back sprain. That may explain why he's been so dang terrible lately. Uh, but McAllister has been awful and got blasted the other day. I forgot who got the Tigers got to him. Uh, and chase them out. But Zach McAllister is now on the disabled list, which means Bauer and Tomlin should be up for uh, up for good because Salazar is not look good, as we talked about on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Bauer Bauer looks safe. I liked Salazar. what I liked what I saw. I watched uh, most of that start. He got in a little bit of trouble with his command uh, fifth inning, I believe it was. But overall, I liked what I saw from him. Yeah, the per pitch numbers are great. The ball rate. On everything um, is totally down. You know, it's kind of weird. He, he, I didn't know that his changeup was not that great. You know, it's not it's not something that people will really talk about because you know we normally talk about him as having a ton of pitches. But I think it might not matter. I mean, he throws his changeup for for grounders, so that's fine. He he threw one screwball according to to Brooks, uh, so maybe that's actually coming back. Uh, he hasn't he hadn't thrown one before, but. Even if even if the change is not great and the screwball stays away for good, what he's got is basically a plus slider and actually like a plus plus slider, a plus plus curve and a plus plus cutter, and that's pretty amazing that he has those three pitches because they're all basically on one continuum. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the slutter continuum, you know the the slider the slider to cutter to to curve and. <clears throat> Despite you know Granky saying that it's really hard to throw a slider and a cutter at the same time, you know his slider and cutter have very different vertical movements, and his curve has is you know it's a big big humped curve. So he has three legit ways, even though they sort of all come at you um, with that same horizontal break, you know, in on lefties. It's they're to differing degrees and there's differing vertical degrees. So it's really three different, you know, really great pitches plus a 90 what's averaging 97 mile an hour fastball right now, which he can command. So this is why people were excited about him. I'm excited about him. What would you do if Hughes was your worst pitcher and Bowers on the wire? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I think I'd have still have to stay with Hughes because the inconsistency, it's really tough to overlook Bauer's inconsistent track record Yeah. because he's shown the flashes of brilliance in the past and then kaputs. Hey, I mean, he, even th- this year in the minor leagues, he had shown all that great stuff and his last minor league outing was not sharp, but he came up and, d- and did well uh, here against Tigers, which is a very tough matchup. I think I'd have to stay with Hughes, but I'm not going to be critical of anybody who went the other way on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's not for nothing. There's also been a bit of a homer issue in Bowers' history. Yeah, up and down. He's basically for his career averaged over a homer per nine. So, you know, know, that's something to think about too. Speaking of home run issues, that that transitions us over to Matt Cain. When you look at Matt Cain, because I've had a lot of questions about Cain. Obviously, he hurt his hamstring last night uh, in in the in the start against Colorado. They're going to wait till Friday to evaluate him to see where his status is on that. But this season, his home run to fly ball ratio is 14%. It's up for a fourth consecutive season. He's already allowed seven home runs. 
But you look at the rest of his line, and there's still a lot to like here. 20% strikeout rate, 256 batting average and balls in play, a 231 opponent's batting average. His ERA is 366. His whip is 122. So it's not the old Matt Cain that used to be a sub-3 and a, one, a sub-1-1 one, one whip, but this is still a good version of Matt Cain. It's just not a great version of him. Uh, do you think this home run issue is gonna nor, is gonna get back to the where he used to be, right around eight to ten percent? Uh, the walk rate is at a career high at eight point seven percent. What to make of Matt Cain moving forward? It's really funny. He's, he's been over. He's been basically the 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 secondary metrics have called him overrated for all of his career. I mean, he's he his career ERA is three thirty six. His career xFIP is four sixteen. Right. You know, I, I remember, I forget who it was. It might have been Larry Schechter that asked me, you know, why is it relevant what the league homer rate is and what the league-wide BABIP is if your pitcher is in the same ballpark against, in front of the same offense, I mean, in front of the same defense. And I think there's some merit to that, especially when it comes to homer rates. So, you know, yes, he might have been over, he might, you know, the, by league-wide homer rates, he might have been overrated, but he still pitches in at t Park. And I have to think that once everything's right, you know, like the, the walk rate is, is you know, his, is the worst in about six years or seven years. So, you know, I, I, you know he had the, the finger and then the, the hamstring. I, I think once those things are right, you know, he can go back to being a kitchen sink guy that has a lot of different ways to attack people with great command. And, you know, even though he won't strike out a batter per inning, he'll, he'll do enough where – you know, his strikeout rate is above average, his walk rate is below average, and uh, his homer rate is below average. I, I think that I think all those things can still come true, especially at home. So if I'm projecting him out, I, I'm, I'm with the projections. You know, 3.5 to 3.7 type rest of season numbers. Uh, with with much more normal home run numbers. It's just the kind of tweets that I get about Matt Cain. It always feels like this is a, a you know, a pitcher with a 5.30 ERA. It's just like people are hitting the panic button about him. I think it just comes to resetting your expectations. Matt Cain is not the guy he was two or three years ago, but he's not garbage either. He's just moved down a tier a little bit. And, you know, he's no longer the guy that could continually defy home run to fly ball ratio as he always did, or the guy that would strand 80% of his runners every year. Those are, those are things that are really tough to sustain. But you look at the, again, you look at the, the numbers I rattled off. Those are all really solid. That's a guy that I, I, I do want to keep around. Uh, we do have two pitchers coming back off the disabled list today to make their first starts in a little bit of time. And Alex Cobb is on the mound right now. Uh, Tampa Bay taking on Oakland. And Chris Sale will be taking on New York later tonight, the Yankees, in his matchup. Concerns about either of these guys coming back, or we just set it and forget it with these guys again? What was the issue with Cobb? Was it a lat? It was a... Uh, uh, Oblique. Yeah. I just, I, I know that Fister's first start back didn't go so well. But when it comes to guys with long track records, I, I usually just throw them. I, I throw them because unless it was, you know, something like a, maybe a beachy or something or like a, even like a, somebody coming back from, you know, Tommy John, you know, maybe they didn't have a great uh, minor league uh, rehab. Maybe there was questions. Maybe there's setbacks. If there are setbacks, that changes things a lot. But 
from what I've gathered with Cobb, it's been mostly, okay, he's got a lat injury, he's going to do this, he's going to do this, and he did all those things. It's not really his arm. I I would throw him right away, I think. Yeah, he's always, the injuries he's had in his career was the uh, thoracic outlet in his shoulder when he had the, the part of his rib removed, uh, getting beamed in the face, and now this. So so the good news is is that his elbow and his shoulders, you know, the ligaments and the muscles in there are healthy uh, with him. So that's a good news. That's why – what about Chris Sale, though? This whole thing about the, this flexor mass thing – Obviously, his last minor league start, he struck out 11 guys. He, he recorded 12 outs, 11 of them by strikeout. So the stuff was still good. But is this something to keep an eye on moving forward? Or you got to hope that the, the worst news is behind him, and now he's just ready to come back and strike out everybody again? You know, this is this is at least an arm injury, right? I mean, this is at least, you know, a, a, a forearm injury. that You have to think about that a little bit. But it's Chris Sale, so... I think you you throw him out there, and if he goes out there, the worst case scenario is not necessarily that he that he falls apart on the mound or he gives you a bad game. I think it's that he tears it and he's out for the year. So um, I think uh, I would I'm throwing Chris Sale in the league where I have him. So I I, I just what, I don't remember there being a lot of setbacks in this one either. He, he kind of you know he went away for a little bit, rested it, and came back. So I guess there was that. That question of whether or not he would even rehab, and then he and then he did some rehab. You could call that a setback, but they didn't call it a setback, so I'm not going to call it a setback. Yeah, I'm not going to call it a setback either. And go, I know Paul uh, Spore and I have him in labor. I wish we had midweek activation so I could put him back in the lineup because uh, he has been on our bench. Our, our lead in that league is suffering a little bit because of losing Sale and Harper and Belt uh, in that league, and we were in second place, and now we're down to fifth. But I would love to be able to pull him back into the lineup tonight because I would love to take advantage of facing the Yankees. Uh, but that's not going to happen. Let's look over at uh, the Cardinals' closing situation. Now that Jason Mott is back and Trevor Rosenthal continues to have his issues. If you were a Rosenthal owner, let's use the, 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 the 2080 scale. If you were a Trevor Rosenthal owner, how worried would you be about Jason Mott being active on, uh, being on the active roster again? <laughs> the Billy Hamilton concern on me. There's no more concern about Billy Hamilton. We can throw that I away. Know, <laughs> we're just going to name it after him. It's the Billy Hamilton uh, forevermore, the Billy Hamilton concern on meter. Um, what I am concerned on a about a 30. Okay, I'm glad we're I, on the same page on this then. You know, look, like I, just in my Twitter feed right now, someone's asking me about Latroy Hawkins. I would put that at more at a 40 or 50, which is funny because Latroy Hawkins' numbers for the year look okay, but his strikeout rate is the worst among 750 closer seasons yes. since 1990. It's even so, worse than Doug Jones at his lowest. It's worse than Dan Quisenberry at his lowest. Old. So, yeah, you know, it's – it's and, and Coors Field inflates balls in play. So you're letting all these balls into play. It's going to go bad soon. But Rosenthal is a little bit more complicated. His velocity's down, but he's still 96. Right. You know, his strikeout rate is down, but it's still double digits. It's still very good. His his most of this has to do with his his control and his walk rate is is untenable right now. And you know, it could be one of those situations where they sit him for a little bit and ask him to work on it. But um, you know. 
I, I have a feeling he gets out of it. It's only been two blown saves, so it's not like it's really affecting the win-loss column for the, the Cardinals yet. And, you know, there's some very easy fixes. His first strike rate is down, and his his reach rate is just climbing. It used to be crazy good, and now it's below average. So basically no batters – they must have figured something out because no batters are swinging at something outside the zone. Right. Him strikes for his balls, so I don't know what that means. I can't imagine that people can really figure out ninety six with a great change. I mean, it's like, you know, what are they doing? Are they just attacking fastball and never swinging at the changeup? That must be, you know, some of it. And maybe I need to look into this more. But you know, if they're not throwing, if they're not swinging at your changeup, just keep throwing ninety six mile an hour gas, man. Well, in hitter, in hitters counts. They're throwing the he throws the fastball nearly ninety percent of the time when he's behind, and because he's struggling with his control of his pitches, he's pitching from behind more often than not, uh, and that's really part of his issue. Despite the fact that he's been fastball heavy, he's still striking out twenty nine percent of the guys he faces. That's really good. Uh, uh, looking at the the numbers that he has, he's still striking out a ton. Got twenty eight percent of the guys he's facing. He's still holding batters to a two ten batting average against. He's still only allowed one home run in 100 plate appearances this year. There's still a lot to like. It's just that 14% walk rate's really tough to overlook. Yeah, yeah. But is Jason Mock so, going to do that any better? Because that's always been his problem, is he doesn't command his pitches well enough. And, you know, to be honest, Jason Mott was a one-pitch pitcher for a while. So, you know, the cutter saved his life, but, you know, what state is the cutter going to be in, and, and can he... And can he jump right back on the horse after Tommy John surgery and, and just, you know, not have any sort of walk rate problem at all? And uh, what's his velocity look like? Yeah. 92-93 is what I saw in his last outing. Yeah, that's, that's down, down from quite a bit from where he used to be. Five, you know, four to five miles an hour. So, yeah, I don't think that Mott at 92. And, and fastball velocity stabilizes very quickly. So, I, I don't think that... But, uh, you know, we'll know in, in, an, in maybe one or two more outings what Mott's velocity is going to look like, you know, plus or minus uh, maybe a half mile an hour or a mile an hour. So if, if Mott sticks around 92, 93, I don't think he's that much of a, of a threat to, to Rosenthal. So that's why, you know, yes, it's concerning, but no, I'm not, you know, going to push it up to 60, 70, 80. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm. I'm a 32 because the velocity not strong, and that's always been Mott's issue is that he just has trouble throwing strikes himself. And I just think you're just changing names and not. And I still like more of what I dislike about Rosenthal. Maybe it's because he set such a high bar last year with the way he pitched. But I'm I'm living with this. I'm, I'm fine with this. This is something if he can just figure out that strike one issue again and not have to rely on his fastball so much, it'll be it'll benefit him. I would say buy low, except that I I don't I try never to ch- to trade for closers. That's true, <laughs> that too. Okay, that uh, wraps up episode one twenty for us. Uh, again, there there will not be a Sunday show with it being a Memorial Day weekend. Uh, there are plans, and Nick, we're not, not sure if Nick's gonna be back home by then. I'm gonna be out all day on Sunday uh, with uh, on a kayaking trip when it's supposed to be ninety nine degrees on Sunday in, in Central Florida. So yay me for making a, a choice two months ago and not thinking about the weather. Uh, with that this is my last weekday show so thanks for all your support and feedback during the weekday uh, i will resume being on this podcast a week from this sunday that's not going to change uh, but there will be a new host uh, next week uh, at some point yeah i know you know you're still 
trying to finalize those details. Yeah, it's still up in the air. It's not too sad of a goodbye. Uh, hopefully, uh, you'll you'll write for us from time to time, and you'll still do those Sunday uh, podcasts, and uh, you'll stick around. And then maybe I'll make a guest appearance on the Sunday podcast so we can get this glorious banter rolling again. That would work out very uh, well, and I'll be doing uh, my final chat tomorrow as well, the, uh, the lunchtime chat. I'm going to do one more of those, and then that one's done for me. Thanks for, for for hanging out with us while you did. Good luck with your with your new job, and uh, it's been a pleasure working with you, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna miss the the weekly chats because I learned a ton from you, and uh, I'm gonna have to replace that somehow. So I'll have to be now become go into listening mode because I record these, but I don't listen to them after we after we talk about it. <laughs> so now I'm gonna have to tune in uh, and listen to it because I know I'm gonna have some time in some airplanes and some cars. So this will work out well for my listening. No, I can't stand that Eno guy. I can't listen because all those ums and yes. Yeah, I'm going to be an iTunes reviewer. Oh, my God. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, dude. And thanks for listening, all y'all. Boom.